You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Up there, because uh, he's an odd-looking fellow. Uh, he had polio when he was a child, and so it kind of forced him to kind of collapse in on himself and walk funny and things like that. But on top of it, uh, he was at that time the oldest living, I don't like the word victim, so I'm going to say survivor of cystic fibrosis. Um, cystic fibrosis is when your, your lungs kind of stop stretching and fluid and everything else collects in there and you eventually just suffocate. Uh, from your own lungs. And uh, Dave was, and I wanted you to, to see him, that's why I want you to probably YouTube him, because you've got to hear the guy preach. Uh, this guy is a dynamo. Uh, the energy that comes out of him, and he's a little freaky sometimes, he had this ability to stand way up on a stage with 2,000 kids back there, and he would look at you, and his eyes would get big, you know, while he's standing on stage, and you'd swear to the heavens that he was looking at you. While he was while he was preaching, uh, he just had this real immense immense uh, or intensity. And I called him up one day. Uh, he was like in his forties, still dealing with cystic fibrosis. And I said, Dave, I would really like to get you to Rapid City. I would love to have you come and talk to us up here. And he said, Well, Nick, I'd love to do that. He says my schedule is two years out. Okay, this guy. Two years, <laughs> he was scheduled to speak, and he had no idea whether or not he had two years left in his lungs. And and I was just so impressed by that as I was talking to him. I, I said, Dave, you know, I, I just got to tell you, I'm just so, I don't know, humbled by your passion for Christ, your passion to preach, your your love for people, especially teenagers. And, and, and your willingness to serve like that, the way you basically just live life 24-7 for Jesus. You're always on, man. I just, I don't get it. I, I wish I had that kind of intensity. And he said, well, Nick, he says, uh, um, maybe I'm that way because I, I realize my mortality. Maybe I'm that way because I realize that any breath could be my last breath. And so I want to make every breath count. And I said, wow, Dave, that's a really good perspective to have <laughs> while you're facing what you're facing. I got all pastoral or something with, with him. And, and Dave, in his regular Busby intensity, said, Nick, don't you realize you're just as terminal as I am? <laughs> and, you know, and he, he, over the phone about knocking me out of my office chair when he, when he did that. And I'm just as terminal as this guy who has cystic fibrosis. He says, the only advantage I have over you is I realize it. He said, realize your mortality, man. That's what you got to do. That's the last thing I ever heard from Dave Busby. A couple years after that, he, he finally went to his reward in heaven. But, uh, but that was Dave. Um, polio, cystic fibrosis, kind of a weird guy. But an unstoppable force. Okay, Nehemiah. Uh, by the way, if you have a Bible handy, uh, there's some under the chair. Uh, open up your phones and devices. That kind of thing. Nehemiah chapter 4 is where we're going today. Uh, I love this chapter. And I love this guy, Nehemiah. 
Uh, Nehemiah is just an incredible guy. And whenever I read the book of Nehemiah, I just think of Nate Busby for some reason. Because do you remember what Nehemiah's job was? Cupbearer to the king. That meant that any time before the king, uh, the Persian Empire, the, the, the emperor basically, took a drink of wine or, or ate any food, Nehemiah had to taste it first to make sure it wasn't poisoned. And, and if you study these times, there was always somebody trying to knock off somebody else. You know, read the book of Esther. Mordecai foiled a plot because two guys tried to kill this king. And so this was Nehemiah's job, was basically the secret service guy that was supposed to jump in and take the bullet for the king at any given moment. So that meant that Nehemiah was a man who stared death in the face daily. Daily, he was looking his own death right in the eyes. And he had to learn to deal with that. And I think that part of what made Nehemiah who he was was that he was okay with that because he knew that his life was in God's hands. You know, both Nehemiah and Dave Busby probably realized Galatians 2.20 better than any of us. That it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and that by faith. I've been crucified with Christ. The life I now live is, is his life. His life, which he gave to us uh, on the cross. And, and so Nehemiah knew that his, his life was in God's hands, so, so he faced every day that way. I couldn't think of a perfect guy to come back to the rubble of Jerusalem and to say, okay, let's get this job done. Because just like Dave Busby, Nehemiah was an unstoppable force. So the question that I have for us today is how unstoppable are you? How unstoppable are you? What does it take to stop you in your tracks? And and I hope the answer that we lead with today is, um, I'm just as unstoppable as my Savior. I'm just as unstoppable as my Savior. The question is, is, well, what do we trust? What are we trusting to save us? Okay, so I have to do this now because Brian has the bulletin with the little icons on the, on the side and I'm really bad with actions. Do any of you guys remember Little Cabin in the Woods, Little Man by the Window Stood? Saw a rabbit hopping by, you know, that kind of thing. I never did that right. I, I did it like Hulk Hogan. Little Cabin in the Woods! You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so, and, and I always forget the motions. So, who thinks they have the motions down for Brian's Old Testament historical sequence? Who thinks they have it? Oh my goodness, they're so, so little confident. You guys are so easily stoppable! Yes, Lisa <laughs> so, knows them. Yes, I watched you. Okay, I have a hand, so it's Brian, so I'm going to ask Brian to come up here. <laughs> Apparently he's the only one that knows them. I'm going to admit it, I don't know them all either. I, I, I really get weirded out with a couple of them. So I'm going to read a recap, a recap, and we're going to, you, you go along, don't look at, no cheating, no look at the notes, okay? And you can do them, you know, Minnie Mouse version or Hulk Hogan version, however you want to do them, okay? All right, so here's a recap of the Old Testament story. Let's see if I did it right and if this matches. Okay, in creation, God shows his heart for all mankind and proposes a plan to save all men after the fall. He raises up many nations, but sets apart one to represent him to all the world. Born in captivity, established with the giving of the law, 
and wandering until they learn obedience. I think I missed the Exodus thing. Well, well you know, that's fine. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> anyway, wandering until they learn obedience. They finally settled in a land where God would build a house where his name would dwell. They were ruled and they were delivered by the judges, the Shophetim, until the time for a chosen king. But the kings became false shepherds. And the people despised God's word, building their own kingdoms instead of God's. Calling him God while worshiping others like a man calling a woman wife while sleeping with many others. The chosen people were exiled because they failed to represent God as holy before all other peoples. And the house where God's name would dwell, the house that became a den of robbers instead of place of worship for all nations, was cast down in utter ruin, and the people went into exile. The city set on a hill for all peoples to see like a bride adorned was made a desolation. Her walls with its gates like a bridal ground were torn asunder and left on the ground in a heap. Because God's people displayed disgrace rather than his glory, and oh, we who call ourselves God's people as the church, we should take heed. (sighs) Failure, followed by repentance, always brings restoration and a return. An opportunity to rebuild, an opportunity to restart, and an opportunity to renew in God's purpose and passion. So that brings us to Nehemiah, uh, the rubble of Jerusalem, uh, a bunch of unqualified masons. Yeah, did you get that in the story? These people that were building the wall, they, they, didn't, they didn't call in the, you know, the labor crew, the union. They didn't call them in. These were perfumers, goldsmiths, priests, nobles. These were guys that probably had never picked up a brick in their life, and they're going to build a wall. And we have to find out whether or not they're stoppable or not. They are taking on a God-sized project here. The rebuilding of Jerusalem could not be accomplished by mere human beings. This was a God-sized project to get it done and to get it done in the time that they needed. And you and I should be involved in God-sized projects every day. The venture that Jesse's looking into stepping into, that's a God-sized project. Raising a family... That's a God-sized project. Building a strong marriage, God-sized project. Facing cancer, God-sized project. Starting a ministry, God-sized project. Adding a service to to a healthy church that, that seems to be doing okay. And as we watch the numbers get a little bit smaller in the summer and we talk about adding another service, that almost seems a little bit odd. But that is a God-sized project that we have before us right now. Chasing God's passion to make His name holy in this world. God-sized project. Maybe just taking Jesus to a neighbor, to a family member, to a co-worker, or to a friend. That is a God-sized project. And any time you take on a God-sized project, the adversary, the enemy, not our enemy necessarily, but God's enemy, because it's a God-sized project, this guy who opposes God is going to want to stick his nose into your business. And he's going to do anything he can necessary to unsettle, to disturb, to confuse, to discourage, to intimidate, and to foil your progress in obeying God and following Christ. 
Oh, that's good news, isn't it? That's why Jesus said, count the cost. In, in, in obeying God and in following Christ, we are going to face constant opposition. Because to follow Christ, that's a God-sized project. Let's pray. Father, as, uh, as we look into your word, um, we have this opportunity for uh, us to have more than words on a page. Um, forming a sentence and a paragraph and a story. Um, we have the opportunity for your voice to reach us and, and to go beyond our ears uh, into our hearts and our minds, spreading out into our spirits so that action might come forth from that. So Lord, we pray as we look at Nehemiah chapter 4 that, uh, that today we hear your voice. Um, that today we would see the, the God-sized projects that are in our lives. That we would remember the, the, the story that was given to us in the previous chapter of, of a group of people that worked together and help us to remember, God, that none of us are meant to face any of these projects, not a single one of these projects by ourselves, but with one another. So God, unite us. Um, Bind us together, Lord. Um, Knit our souls to one another the way you did with David and Jonathan. So that uh, any opposition that we might face, we we face together, we face it with faith, and, and we take action after that. So show us how to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, okay, those are your three key words for the kids there. Uh, opposition, uh, faith, and action. And we're going to look through about four sections of Nehemiah chapter 4 where we see a certain form of opposition. Um, we see a faith response to that. And this is what I really like in the book of Nehemiah. You see people pray and then you see them pick up bricks. And that's very convicting to me. Because sometimes I just pray. And then I don't pick up the brick. And, and I think this is one of the key messages in the book of Nehemiah is, is that praying is good, but man, pick up a brick. That means get to work, get after, do something with it. That's that's how prayers are. That's how God likes to answer prayers. Uh, it's not us just passively sitting around waiting, but but He likes to just say, "Hey, man, do something and watch me show up. Watch me show up in what you do." Okay, so we're going to see that as we go through this. Uh, first one, and we're going to look at the first assault in verses one through six. And uh, in this, we're going to see the strength of the Moabite. Okay, the Moabite. Uh, Google that or look that up, Moabite. They got a really sad history. Uh, there was this woman named Ruth. She was a Moabite, and she was awesome. But we're going to meet another Moabite named Sanballat, and he's a jerk. Okay, so the Bible addresses jerks and, and how we're supposed to deal with them. And you're going to see that very clearly as we, as we begin this. So here it is, verse, or chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Now when, when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, and remember he was introduced to us a couple chapters ago, when he heard that, that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. I, don't you love how the, the Bible does that? This guy was mad, but he just wasn't mad. He was severely mad. He had an anger that just couldn't be satisfied. He had an anger that just kept growing and growing and seething and boiling within him until it was about ready to blow. He was greatly enraged and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers, his companions, his associates, and of the army of Samaria, 
What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they are building. If a fox goes up on it, it will break down their stone wall. (laughs) See, this is what jerks look like. These are the naysayers that Brian talked about a couple weeks ago. These are some of the voices that we hear whenever we're endeavoring to follow after God. You know, and, and so here are the, here's, here's all these unqualified masons and they're, they're, they're stacking up their bricks and, you know, it's pretty clear what they were going to do. And Sanballat and a whole bunch of other people, the, 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 the soldiers from Samaria, they show up to watch this and they start catcalling at them. Sanballat, you know, he takes, he, he finds a prominent spot and he stands up and he says, Nay, I say. <laughs> and then, and then he starts making fun of the Jews and he makes fun of the work he mocks and he scoffs as he as he jeers at them and that is the act of the devil <coughs> to, to 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 scoff at anything that God would want to have accomplished and not only does he surround himself like most bullies do he surrounds himself with this intimidating force he uh, every bully has a sidekick you know and that's Tobiah the Ammonite again look up their history not a very happy one and, and he's encouraged by, by what his big buddy is doing there. I always get this picture of Gaston and LeFou, you know, standing there. Uh, almost breaking the song as I'm reading that chapter. You know, and he's got he's to one-up Sam Ballot's mockery by saying, oh, yeah, you know, my fox would jump on it and knock it over. You know, and I can see him looking around like, did you like that one? That was a good one, huh? See, that's the kind of opposition that we face when we take on a God-sized project is often mocking and disdain will come at us. If you're taking notes, uh, that, that sort of opposition, mocking and disdain, you can just say that's anything that makes you feel small. Anything that makes you feel little, inadequate, insufficient, unqualified. You're going to do what? You? Satan loves coming after us that way. And so he'll send people to start tearing us down with that. Well, then we see a a faith response to this, beginning in verse 4. Nehemiah just breaks into spontaneous prayer. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Uh, Let them have a taste of what we just went through, God. Maybe they'd understand us a little more. Do not cover their guilt, let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. That's called an imprecatory curse. You see that? Wow. You know, and, and this isn't Nehemiah getting all holy and super righteous or anything like this. He's just repeating what God had already said. You can read it through Jeremiah and Isaiah and some of the other books of the prophets as they were talking about what would happen in these days. And God said, if you are not for Israel, if you rise up against them, you yourselves will be cast down to utter ruin. And, and Nehemiah is saying, God, you said it. If that's what you want for them, then bring it because we got a wall to build here. Okay. So the faith response that we have here is, is prayer. And it's a prayer remembering that God is bigger than any bully. 
that we face. And that's worth thinking about right now. You know, what is the spiritual bully that you're facing in life? What is it that's trying to stop you in your tracks as you seek to obey God and to follow after Christ? And there's some big things out there. And there's some scary things out there. And and it's very easy to just think, I am too little. I am too small compared to that. But what we've got to remember is it's not about us. God is bigger than anything we have to face. And if we've got to face it, He will get us through it. Now the neat part here is, is that they don't just pray. Like I said, they pick up bricks, they take action. And so here it is, very matter-of-factly, verse 6, so we built a wall. You know, that's what they were doing. We were building a wall. This guy came at us and said, you're a bunch of punks. You're not going to get your wall. Stupid! God, would you just shut him up so we can get back to work and build our wall? And that's what they did. They built the wall. And the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. And that takes us back to chapter 3. We had a people that had a, a unified mind to accomplish God's mission. And then they stuck to the mission. So here's the action. Ignore the taunts and stay on task. Ignore these voices that are trying to stop you from doing what you should be doing and just stick to it. Keep on it. Keep going. Don't give up. Zechariah 14.11 has this, has this uh, prophetic statement about this day. Jerusalem shall remain aloft on its site from the gate of Benjamin to the place of the former gate to the corner gate and from the tower of Hananel to the king's wine presses. And it shall be inhabited, for there shall be no more curse. Jerusalem shall dwell in security. You know, and, and what that is saying there is there's going to be no more of these belittling taunts, these, these, these tearing down statements, these decrees of destruction against them. There shall be no more curse. You know, that same promise is given to us in Revelation. You read the end of the book, there's no more tears, no more sorrows, no more pain. Best part of all, no more decree of utter, of utter destruction. There no longer shall be a curse. And what that says is not only is in Christ are we unstoppable, but we are untouchable. Untouchable. In Proverbs 26.2 it says, like a, like a sparrow in its flitting, like a swallow in its flying, a curse that is costless does not alight. And that's such a convicting thing because words hurt. And, and I'm one of those guys, I just want to make everybody happy. I don't want to you know, mess up the status quo too much and that sort of thing. And then somebody says something that really hurts. Somebody, somebody throws a curse at me and it says there in Proverbs that that should not even land on me. Just keep on going so that I can keep on going. Okay, so there's our, first, there's our first one. As we move on to the second assault, the second assault is a disturbed spirit, verses 7 through 9. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites, do you notice that his crowd is increasing now? He's, he's, he's got to go get more help to oppose this work. Uh, when all these guys heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. Are you starting to see a pattern here? People get mad when God's doing His stuff. And when people are being obedient to joining God and doing His stuff, there's, there's this, this demonic anger that rises up against it. 
So in their anger, they, they all plotted together, it says in verse 8, they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. So there's the opposition, uh, intimidation, threat, anything to make you feel fear or uncertainty. As you're dealing with obstacles in life, there's, there's stuff that's going to come your way that's going to make you feel fearful. It's going to make you feel uncertain. It's going to make you confused. Should I really, should I really do this? Man, confusion, that's my default setting. It's not like I even need any help from Satan on that one. But that's where he likes to attack. He likes to get us feeling like, this is scary. I, I don't think I can do this. But then we see their faith act in there. Verse 9, and we prayed to our God. There it is again, prayer. Faith action and prayer. And, and this is what they did. They, they, they prayed to God and they set a guard for protection against them day and night. You know, in praying to their God, they were recalling God's identity. They were remembering who He is. And they remembered that God was bigger than all their fears. I don't know what scares you. There's a lot of things that scare me. Snakes. Even the harmless ones. Failure. Letting somebody down. God is bigger than all those things. And that's what we have to do is in our faith is to remember that. Remember who He is. Remember that He's bigger than all those things. And then the action we should take is pray up and suit up. Pray up and suit up. Did you notice what they did there? They prayed to God and then they set a guard against all these forces to watch over them day and night. And, and that means be vigilant. Watch out. And watch out for one another. Now, how often does it say in the Bible to be watchful? 1 Corinthians 16.13 Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Colossians 4.2 Continue steadfastly in prayer. Being watchful with thanksgiving. 1 Peter 5.8 Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Because your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to eat for lunch. That's a paraphrase. We then get to our third assault. And this is a tricky one because it's the wrong kind of support. Yeah, as always, oh, let me help you out with this thing you're doing here, and they're really no help at all. Uh, here it is, verse uh, ten. In Judah, it was said that means this became a proverb: the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. Which is good self-awareness to have there. By ourselves, we cannot do this. By ourselves, we can't do a thing. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. Zip, zero, nilch, nada. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. You know, they're still plotting. Well, while they're beleaguered, while they're, while they're just going, and they're about ready to give up. That's what this passage is saying to us. We're about ready to stop. This is too much for us. We're not going to be able to handle that. And not only are they in that state of mind, we still have this enemy who's saying they're not going to, they're not going to know what hit them when we show up. And then in verse 12, this happens. Here's where the real opposition is. At that time, the Jews who lived near them, came from all directions and said to us ten times. That constitutes nagging. 
They said to us ten times, you must return to us. So you see what's happening there? There were Jews that weren't in Jerusalem. There were Jews that capitulated. There were people of God who really weren't a part of the project that were somewhere else. And they came to the people that were on the project and they said, you know, you just need to stop this and come and join us now. Just, just come to us. Give up this foolishness that, that you're engaged in and, and come to where we are. Be where we are at. Capitulate like the rest of us here. So this is what I call the opposition in this one. Helicopter moms. Sorry, moms. You got a tough job, I know. You're, you're somewhere between being a helicopter mom, hovering and being too protective, and being a tiger mother, being too hard on your kids. Somewhere you got to get into that medium and, and, and be in there. I don't know how to tell you to do that, but you know that's that's the tough job you have, have as mom. But we all know a helicopter mom. A helicopter mom hovers over their kids and tries to protect them from everything, you know. And and in the process of trying to keep them overly safe, they actually stifle them from growing. And so, so that's the opposition. Anything that will attempt to keep you so safe that you're stifled. If you're in a church that's trying to keep you safe, get the heck out. Because there's nothing safe about following Jesus Christ. There's nothing safe about going into a, a, a house where women are being sold, little girls are being sold... And trying to get them out of there and get them to a place of safety. There's nothing safe about going to a neighbor and saying, Guy, I just need to tell you about Jesus. Because he's wrecking my life in a really good way and I want him to wreck your life in a really good way too. There's nothing safe about hunkering down in a pew and thinking that you're going to be okay until the end time comes. Get out of the helicopter church, mom. Or mom church. Well, helicopter churches, we'll just call them that, I guess. So their faith action was this. You must return to us, verse 13. So in the lowest parts of the spaces behind the wall, in the open places, these are the most vulnerable places, the most unsafe places of the wall, I stationed people by their clans, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So there it is, that faith and that action coming together there. This faith to turn to God and remember He is great and He is awesome. And, and I looked at that, the, the, the Hebrew for that great, and it means He is, he is louder than any noise. He is more intense than any force. He is more numerous than any foe. That's, that's just how great He is. And, and awesome means that He is so terrifying in His own being that we should be more scared of Him than the opposition. What it's saying in there is that God is forcefully reverent. Just because of who he is, you can't help but fall down in fear before him. He says, remember, that's who's on our side. So what's shaking you up? Is, is it those guys out there? Are they shaking you up? Or is it God that shakes you up? Because God should shake you up more than anything in this world shakes you up. If your financial situation is shaking you up, turn to God and remember that he is great and awesome. If facing cancer is shaking you up, turn to God and remember that he is great and awesome. If the relationship that you thought would make you happy isn't making you happy, turn to God and remember that He is great and awesome. 
If the world's going to pieces, ruled by a bunch of nut jobs, turn to God. Remember that He is great and awesome. Galatians 6.15 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, uh, you who are spiritual should restore them with a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And then listen to this, bear one another's burdens. Remember? This burden is too great for us. We're about ready to give up. That's why God gives us the church. He doesn't say go to church because that makes you a better person. He doesn't say go to church because that makes you a better Christian. He says go to church because you've got to bear one another's burdens. You've got to get together and carry the load with one another. Because we're not meant to do it ourselves. And anytime we show up to church, say, well, I'm okay. I'm just fine. No, you're not. You're wrong. You're a hot mess. You're screwed up. Almost as bad as me. And I can't do it alone, and neither can you, so we've got to do it together. Let's carry one another's burdens and let's stick to the work. So their faith was to turn to God and remember that He's great and awesome. Their action was stick together and fight for what matters. Did you notice how He stationed them? With your brothers, your sisters, your sons, your daughters, your clan. Those people out there who have joined the nay I say crowd are not your real family. Your real family are the people that say, let's get this thing done. And we have to watch out for our real family. And that gets us to the last one, and this one's really tricky. Verses 15 through 23. When our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. This is really tricky. Let's keep going. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction, half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and the coats of mail. And this is really cool here. And the leaders stood behind behind the whole house of Judah, who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored in the work with one hand and held his weapon in the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles, that from the officials, and to the rest of the people, this work is great and is widely spread out. We are separated on the wall, far from one another. So the opposition here wasn't the enemy because they were stymied. They were frustrated. The very thing they were trying to do to the Jews was happening to them. They're going, we're not getting anywhere. Look at these guys. They're just going. They're like ants building up this wall. And that's usually when we as Christians go, yay, let's have a potluck and celebrate and move on to something else. No. These guys said, hey, look at this. They can't do anything to us. Keep building the freaking wall. Don't stop. See, that's the thing, we quit too soon. And the opposition that was actually happening here was kind of an internal opposition where they were starting to get isolated from one another because of the work. And, and that's, that's easy to do in the kingdom of God because we've got to be here and we've got to be there and we've got to do this and this, one's, this person's got to do that thing and that person's got to go do this thing. And, and before long, we're all on our own like we shouldn't be. Remember when I said the house of Judah was such a cool thing? That's the royal tribe. That's the tribe from which kings came from in Jerusalem. And there was no king in Jerusalem at that time. But there was a king coming. 
Jesus' ancestors were busy building that wall. And everybody got behind them. And that's the thing that we have to remember while we're so wildly scattered and doing our own thing so often is that Jesus has always been about getting the job done. And we should get behind him. As it goes on to say, I, it, you know, that we're widely separated, he said in verse 20, that's a problem. So he says this to the guy with the trumpet. Because guys with trumpets are pretty much useless until it's time to blow the trumpet. Okay? And I only say that because my best friend's a trumpet player, and I hope he hears this. <laughs> he says this, In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. God will fight for us. And, and there's the faith statement. Remember God. His name is a warrior. Exodus 15. This is our God. His name is a warrior. And our God will fight for us. It's so cool to see how many times in the scripture that idea gets reiterated. Our God will fight for us. When, when you and I were dead in the water under our sins, under the weight of sin that not a one of us could lift up off of ourselves, our God fought for us. And if He can fight for us in that, then no matter what we face in this life between now and eternity, He will continue to fight for us. What a great statement of faith. And then their action... So, we labored at the work. And half of them held the spears and from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people in that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem so that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took our clothes off. We just each kept our weapon at our right hand. There was their action. They kept on keeping on. They just kept going. They were unstoppable. They were unstoppable because their God is unstoppable. I love reading the book of Acts because there's this phrase that's often repeated in there. And it's, it, it depends on the version that you're reading. I think in the New American Standard it says, And they kept on. You know, Peter, Peter and John get beat for saying Jesus' name, but they kept on preaching the name. And, and the disciples scattered out of Jerusalem from persecution, but they kept on proclaiming the Savior, Jesus Christ, to the world. They kept on keeping on. They kept on. They kept on. And then it says, and, and the Word of God kept on growing and multiplying. You know, and that should be the that should be the picture of Nehemiah's guys, the keep on keeping on crew, and that should be the picture of the church today, the keep on keeping on people. Because our God is unstoppable. Ultimately, we have to remember it's God who faces down the opposition. It's not us. Don't don't get this idea that all right, I'll put on the armor of God. Yes, you should put on the armor of God. That's Ephesians five, you can find that. Or Ephesians six. Put on the armor of God, but don't think that I'm going to go fight the devil off now. Because he can't. He's, he's going to eat your lunch. He's a roaring lion, prowling about, looking for somebody to devour. You don't stop him. 
You don't do this, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. You don't rebuke nobody. It's the Lord rebuke you. Jude tells us how to fight spiritually. You know, we don't get this prideful thing that says, man, I'm so strong, I'm so mighty, I'm such a spiritual No, it's God. God rebuke you, devil. Not me, I can't. Jesus Christ rebuke you, devil. I say that right now. For any opposition that you're facing, that spiritual opposition, uh, devil, God rebuke you. And you say it right back to him. Rub his nose in it. Because the devil compared to God is this tiny little thing held by the scrub of the neck, peeing all over the place. Because that's how big God is. And how really little our adversary is against us. The lesson of this text um, in Nehemiah 4 is to remember that we have got to be Jesus-oriented. He is our Savior. There is no other. He is the mighty God. There is no God beside Him. Whatever we're doing, wherever we're at in life, whatever we are facing, we've got to turn our eyes towards Jesus and center on Him, remembering that He is great and He is awesome. A few weeks ago, or months ago actually, we did a series on worship, and one of the things we learned in there is that we are all worshipers, one or another. We're wired to worship. That's what we do. We worship. We're constantly worshiping. We're either going to worship our problems, our our opposition, our struggles, or we're going to worship the God who overcomes those things. Serious, worship is what we give our hearts, our mind, and all of our attention to do, too. And if your problems have all your heart, all your all your attention right now, guess what you're worshiping? And now's the time to say, you know what, God, I repent of that. I repent of that. Today you get all my attention. Today you get my focus. Today you get all of me. You get anything that I've been holding back, God. If it's my checkbook, you get my checkbook. If it's my if it's my willing to work, it's it's that. Whatever it is, God, that I've been holding on to. It's all you, because none of those things are going to save me. I might think they can, but all of them are stoppable. You are the only unstoppable Savior I've got. So how unstoppable are you? You're as unstoppable as the thing you're trusting to save you. Make sure it's Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, the story's not even done. As we continue through Nehemiah, we're going to see more opposition coming. It's going to ramp up. We're going to see problems coming from unexpected sources. Um, this isn't a happy ending here. It's, it's, just a, it's, it's just a great halfway point. But Lord, I love this about these people that were building this wall. We, we see in it, they built the wall halfway. But halfway was never enough for them. Halfway was never enough for you. Lord, don't let us be halfway Christians. Let us be all out. Jesus, you faced a lot of mocking on your way to the cross. But you remained silent and you just kept going. Entrusting yourself to the one who judges righteously. 
Jesus, you, you had a lot of people against you. You had the, the powers of the nations rise up against you, the rulers of, of the people. The Pharisees and the Sadducees start, started shouting you down, but you were not intimidated. The devil himself came and tried to trick you out of going to the cross, and you didn't let him win that. You just kept going, facing the cross, facing it for us. Lord, you had a family that came to you and said, you, you got to quit this nonsense and come back to Nazareth and start the carpentry shop up again. We need you to do that. Quit, quit being this, this, this self-proclaimed Messiah. You're, you're sounding a little nuts and it's making us look bad. These helicopter moms that surrounded Jesus, he, he didn't listen to them. He, he just kept going. He just kept going to that cross. It didn't matter how much pain or how much shame or how much agony. It didn't matter that you had to bear every single one of my sins and every single sin of every single person that's ever lived and ever will live in that moment. It didn't matter that you were going to be separated from your Father and bear hell on that cross. You didn't stop. You didn't stop for us. You kept going. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. God, let us, let us be unstoppable with you. Work your salvation in every aspect of our lives, spiritually, emotionally, physically. Save us, God. Save us. Because without you, we are so, so stoppable. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.